0: All right, so grab your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 1. It's not all going to be on the screen today, so it's good to have scriptures open, Acts chapter 1. Um, we're talking about a big change that's happened at the beginning of the Bible. We're, we're, we're starting a series on Acts, um, started it last week, I feel like I'm still starting it, trying to get some traction here, um, but there's a lot going on in this book. Uh, before we get into it, I want to show you a couple pictures, this is why I had you slides today. Um, so kids, this is a computer. (laughs) This is what they used to look like. This is not the exact computer that I had when I was a kid, but it's close. Uh, it looks a lot like it. Um, you know, it's a beautiful beige box, um, with, uh, you know, i386 processor, a five and a half inch floppy drive. Um, you know, this one doesn't even have a mouse. I don't know if they even had a (laughs) graphical interface in that one, but, um, you know, it was pretty cool when I was, Ten years old. All right, this is this is cutting edge computer technology. Um, it could run Windows 3.1, uh, which is a fantastic piece of software. And uh, you know, one of the, the things that I like to use this computer for uh, was playing uh, Minesweeper and Solitaire. All right? Because that's what you could do on a computer like this. Not a lot of there's. There, I was having this conversation with the family this week. There's no internet. What do you mean no internet? Yeah, there's no internet. Uh, you, didn't, you weren't connected to anything. Um, it couldn't really do that much, but you could play a couple simple games like Minesweeper and Solitaire. Uh, of course, today, many of you uh, in front of you right now or in your pockets, you've got a computer that puts this one to shame, okay? Uh, smartphone, I was trying to do a little digging this week. I'm not smart enough to get all the comparisons, but uh, in terms of memory, like you think about standard entry-level smartphone today, they all have about 16 gigabytes storage, something like that. Uh, that's like entry-level. To have that much storage in those five and a quarter inch floppy disks, you would need 46,000. 46,000 of those floppy disks. It would be um, about 240 feet high, and these are little (laughs) paper-thin disks, right? So it's just, it's crazy how much things have improved, how much they've changed. Um, And of course, this thing uh, that you have in your pocket, uh, it has a touch screen. Uh, you can do all sorts of stuff. You can use it to navigate. You can take pictures and videos. Um, you, can, uh, you can still play Minesweeper in Solitaire if you want. But uh, so many other things, and on top of it, it actually makes phone calls. It's a telephone, too. I don't know if you remember that. It still does that. Um, so it's just it's a world apart from the computers that we used to have. Okay? So instead of just the few little things you can do, there's millions of apps. Um, you know, I just have Google ones up here, but you know, iPhones do the same thing. So it's this huge change. We've experienced a tremendous change, uh, a shift in what computers used to be able to do, what computers even were, to what they are today. Uh, and it's hard for people who haven't lived through it to recognize how big of a change that that is. And yet this change, this transformation, this complete shift from what computers used to be to what they are now, is, is, this change is nothing compared to the change that happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, there is a gigantic shift that has happened in Acts chapter 1 uh, and Acts chapter 2 and through the, uh, kind of this transition period in the book of Acts, this amazing shift that is a bigger shift than anything that's ever existed in the world. So let's look at Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 11 verses again. We're going to key on verse 8. I'm going to talk about what is so different now and what does that mean for us. So Acts chapter 1, verse 1. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sights, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So the big question that I introduced us to last week was this question, what kind of church did God order? What does God want? That's what we're trying to figure out here. You can see it in Acts. You can see it throughout the New Testament. God has placed an order. He says, there's a church that I want. I'm creating this thing, and this is how I want it. And we're asking, well, what, what does God really want? And I gave you this picture last week that I'd gotten from someone else uh, of, of like going to a restaurant. Right? So you go to a restaurant, and you sit down, and I don't know about you, but I ordered a steak, right? Especially if somebody else is buying and I say, uh, yeah, I'd like the steak. And, and so what happens then if you're sitting there in the restaurant and you order the steak, but then the waiter comes a little while later and brings you spaghetti. Does to work? There you go. They bring you spaghetti. It might be great spaghetti. It might be really tasty, but it's not what you ordered. And so you say, no, I don't want this. I ordered the steak. Take it back. Okay, and we can do that with God where he, he places an order for the church. He says, here's what I want the church to be. And he tells us in his word. And he lays it out. He gives us acts. He gives us the New Testament epistles. He says, here's what the church is supposed to be. But then we kind of ignore that, or we can, and we can say, no, I have an idea what the church should be. I know what it's supposed to be about. The church is about teaching my kids right from wrong. The church is about having just a group of people that really love each other and care for each other. The church is about uh, taking care of the poor, okay? All these things are good things, right? They're, they're valuable things, and they're elements of what the church is supposed to do. But we come up with ideas, sometimes just looking at other churches, sometimes just think, looking at our own hearts, here's what I want a church to be like. Sometimes we look at the world, the way the world operates, the way organizations are structured in the world, and we say, well, we could look how that company functions with their CEO and their board of directors and their job descriptions. And, and, you know, if we had all that stuff in the church, then we'd be better off. Okay, but God says, no, that's not what I ordered. I ordered what's here in Scripture. And so we want to really wrestle with that and say, what, what does God want? It's His church. And so what we saw last week is we looked at verse 8 in chapter 1, We saw that the one thing that God really wants for his church is to be on mission. It says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. So this is why God made the church. God had a mission first to redeem the world through Jesus. And then came the church, which he created to tell the world that, that message. So it's not that he created the church and said, now I've got this church, what am I supposed to do with it? say, no, I have a mission. I want to redeem the world through Jesus. I need people to tell the world about this. I need a a group of people who will live it out and show the world what it's like to follow Jesus. I'll make the church. That's who we are. And so the main thing that we have to be about is mission. All right, so that's review. So this week, what's new this week? Well, we saw last week that God's mission has been consistent throughout the Bible. God has always been about the business of redeeming the world through Jesus. But a big change happens between the Old Testament and the New Testament in how God accomplishes that mission. And so to lay this out, um, I'm going to use an extended illustration. let go back to the computers again. So this is like super nerdy Sunday. I hope you enjoy it. Um, okay, so when you think about computers, right, there's these three different parts. You've got the hardware. That's the physical stuff. That's the actual computer that you can hold in your hands or the phone that you've got, right? It's the raw materials. And then you've got the operating system which are the basic instructions. Okay, it's the thing that the computer runs. It's, nobody buys a computer just to get the operating system. Nobody's like, oh, I really want to buy that new computer so I can just run Windows 10. Like, there's no point to it. it. But it's the thing that enables you to run other stuff. So the operating system is the basic instructions that enable the computer to work. But what you're really interested in are the apps. What can you do with it? What can this particular device run? What programs can I use? What, how can I accomplish things with it? So this is all set up here, but, but you know, in the old days, many moons ago, the hardware we had were those old boxy computers. They couldn't really do too much. They could do some. They were limited. Because they were limited, the operating systems were limited, right? You could only run Microsoft Windows 3.1. Don't even think about Windows 95. That's not going to work. Okay, so it's limited in what it can do. And then, because the hardware's limited and the operating system's limited, the applications were limited. I could basically just play Minesweeper, which is a great game, but it was limited. Right. Now, when you get to, to today, though, it's a huge upgrade in all these areas. The, the, the hardware is so much better. You know, the phones that we have are an incredibly better in every way than the old systems. And because of that, they can run better operating systems. So the, these phones run the Android system, or iPhones run iOS, but they've got better... Operating systems. And those operating systems enable you to do better things. Again, millions of apps, millions of things, almost limitless the stuff that you can do with a phone today because of the upgrades. Now, what I'm saying here today, this is all just a picture. This is a, a framework to think about what's happened in the Bible. Is that this is a huge, huge change. It's a gigantic jump from the old hardware, the old operating system, the old apps, to the things that you can do today. And this is a picture of what's happened in Acts. This is a picture of the dramatic changes that have happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I'm going to use this same grid, and you've got this in your note-taking outline, and we're going to fill it in with the principles from the Old Testament and compare those to the New Testament. So that's what you've got on your note-taking outline. If you want to fill that out, you can fill it in as we go along. So let's talk about hardware. As God is trying to accomplish his mission of redeeming the world in the Old Testament what's the hardware he uses what's the raw material that God uses to accomplish his mission and the way I've summarized it today is that he uses spiritless Israel okay so he uses the nation of Israel that's what the Old Testament's about it's about the nation of Israel God uses them to, ac- to further along his mission of redeeming the world we looked at this passage last week, but I'll put it up here again. In Exodus 19, uh, God, this is when right before the Ten Commandments. That happens in Exodus 20. So God is constituting the nation. He's, he's given them a mission statement. Here's what they're going to do. It says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine." And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. That's Exodus 19 verses 4 through 6. And the key word there is the kingdom of priests. We're kingdom of priests. That that He chose Israel to be like priests to the world. They're the one nation that is the priest to the rest of the world. And priests are the go betweens, the ones that are the intermediaries between God and everybody else. So God says, here's my mission, I'm going to redeem the world, you guys are my priestly nation, you're the ones who are going to help the rest of the world come to know me. That's their job. So the raw materials God's using in the Old Testament is the nation of Israel. But there's a problem, it becomes very apparent as you keep reading the Old Testament, the problem is they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't have the Spirit. They're just ordinary people. And God's trying to use them, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. And this causes all sorts of difficulties. So because their hardware is limited, because they don't have the Spirit, God can only give them very limited instructions. The operating system is limited. And here's the operating system that God gives them. It's come and see. Okay, so this is the basic instruction that God gives to the nation in the Old Testament, the way that they operate is under this paradigm of come and see. That is, you you know, God sets up the nation of Israel, he gives them rules to follow, and then says to the rest of the world, come and see what they're doing here. Here's the verses you want to look at for this. Deuteronomy, this is chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. This is God installing the operating system right here. That's what's happening. Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 through 8. He says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules. So Moses is speaking. He says, I've taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear of all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? So do you hear the come and see operating system here? Let's go back to the last slide here. He says, um, you know, keep them and do them. Verse 6, for that will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this is a great nation. Surely they have a wise God. God says, I'm going to give you all these laws, I'm going to put you in this place, and then you're supposed to follow me, and the rest of the world will hear about it. They will see it, and they will come. That's the basic operating system of the Old Testament. God gives the people a land, he sets them up there, he has the nations watch them, and the idea is they will come, and they will see. They will encounter God through Israel. Now, if that's your hardware, that's your operating system, what can you do with that? Well, if your operating system, the basic instruction is get people to come and see, then the things that you can do will be what I'm calling attractional activities. Attractional actions. Things that attract people. Like if your job is to get people to come and see, then you're going to do things to get people to come and see. Here are some examples of this um, from the Old Testament. Uh, The first big one is... Uh, you'll stay in one place and expect people to come to you, right? So if your operating system is come and see, then one of the things you're going to do is stay in one place so that they can come and see. This is how Israel was set up. This is why, in case you ever wonder, why did God give Israel the land? Why is that such a big deal? This is why. They needed a place where people could come and see. So God gave them the land, and I'll just Here's, here's, a, here's a map in case you wonder, where's Israel at? There it is. Did you see it yet? Oh, there it is. Flashing arrows. That's my one animation. That's my nerdy part. Okay, so if you look in the Middle East, you think, you know, you ever wonder, like, God, why didn't you give him one of the land with, with, with all the oil? Like, why didn't you give them that? Like, that would have been pretty nice if they're your favorite people, right? Um, he gave him this particular land in this particular place because it's actually in the middle of all the trade routes. Right? Because the Mediterranean Ocean's right there, so you, or the Mediterranean Sea, sorry. So you can't like get around it. You've got to go through it. And Egypt's a big superpower. This is a modern map, but, but Babylon's up here, a big superpower. Assyria, like all these places, to get from one place to another, they've got to go through Israel. Okay? It's not like the destination you want to go to, but it's a place you've got to get through to get anywhere. So God gives them this land kind of at a hub of transportation among all these nations so that the nations will see them. And they will be able to say, oh, your God is great. Your laws are good. We want to be like you. And that's what you do when you have this uh, come and see operating system is you do things to attract people. And one of them is stay in one place so they can find you, so they can see you. Another thing that happens is that you center religious life around one building. That's also a very Old Testament idea, right? God gave them the capital city of Jerusalem. He gave them a temple. They built this building, and that was the building where God was. That was where his presence was. Nowhere else. In fact, God gets mad at the people when they set up other places to worship. He says, this is the place to worship me. This is where my presence is, in this building. And so they say to everyone, here's where God is in this building. Come and see why the Old Testament makes a huge deal all the time. The nations will come to Zion. The nations will come to the temple. They'll come to where God is. When your whole operating system is come and see, you've got to have a place where God is, and you just try to get people there. And the last one that you see all throughout the Old Testament is that there's no adaptation to the surrounding cultures. You can't adapt. When your operating system is come and see, you can't adapt the rest of the world. You have to be distinct. You have to be different. So God is giving to, to the Israelites all these rules about food, what you can and can't eat, things that they can wear or not wear, um, all sorts of really specified ways to deal with everything, including the sacrificial system, the temple system. Like It's all laid out, and they cannot adapt at all. Part of this is the limitation of not having the spirit. They don't have the God in them to enable them to figure out how to work in different situations, so God spells it all out for them. But part of it, too, is this idea of we're just trying to get people to come and see. Well, if you're not different from the surrounding cultures, they're not going to notice you, and they're not going to come here and see you. They're not going to say, well, what's, why are you different? So they have to not adapt. They have to be uh, unique. They have to be uh, following all of these rules to set them apart so that people will come and see Right, so that's, that's kind of the Old Testament in a nutshell. The, the way God was trying to accomplish his mission was through a nation of Israel that did not have the Holy Spirit. And because of that, he put them in a place, gave them a temple, gave them all these restrictive rules so that the rest of the world would see that and hopefully come and join in the worship. But as you read throughout the Old Testament, you realize that being spiritless is a fatal flaw. Not having the Spirit, they just couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. And so we get to the New Testament, and the disciples, still here in Acts chapter 1, are still thinking under this paradigm, they're saying, well, okay, it, it didn't work, but maybe it still can, and so they asked Jesus in Acts 1, 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Right, so, so, so at this time, now are we finally going to, you're going to restore our land, you're going to restore our kingship, you're going to be the real king, the world can't ignore, and now finally everyone will come and see. But really that's like coming to Jesus and going, "Is this finally the time you're going to upgrade us to Windows 95?" Right? I know it didn't work with 3.1, but if we got Windows 95, it's got that start button, it's pretty cool. Like if we just had that, then we could accomplish everything. And Jesus says, "No. I want to give you a totally new upgrade. A complete paradigm shift." That's what happens in the New Testament. See, in Acts, so it's Acts 1:6 is what they ask Acts 1-8 is his answer. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What he's saying there is, you're going to get new hardware. You're going to get an upgrade. You're going to be transformed. This is a whole new ballgame. Throw away your old computer. you got a smartphone, buddy. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will receive power. It's totally different. So the Old Testament, it was Israel, there was no Spirit. New Testament, we've got the Spirit-empowered church. Brand new hardware, and with this new hardware, we can do all sorts of new things. So Jesus continues, and he says in Acts 1.8, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay. So this is a new operating system. Do you hear the difference? He's not saying, uh, you're going to get the Holy Spirit, and now you're going to stay here, and now people are going to come to you and see so no, I've given you the Holy Spirit, and now we're gonna do some cool stuff. We're gonna go. We're gonna go and tell. Yeah, we're gonna start in Jerusalem where we are, but then we're gonna to go to Judea, and then we're gonna to go to Samaria, and then we're gonna to go to the ends of the earth. Forget waiting for them to come to you. You're going to them. We get new hardware. We get a new operating system. The basic instructions transform to go and tell. And because we've got this new hardware that can do so much more, we've got this new operating system that's so much more liberating. There's there's uh, now all these new apps that we can do. Instead of being stuck doing merely attractional things that try to draw people to us, we can do missional things, missional things. That is, things where we go and tell. And what's that look like? Those are interesting words, aren't they? You might never have heard those before. Attractional, missional. What what does that mean? All right, well, Let's compare, again, some of these things. So this is a list of the things that we did in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, when we were attractional. One, we had to stay in one place, expecting people to come to you. That's how the Old Testament worked. Stay in one place. They're going to come and see. But in the New Testament, it changes. Now we go to the lost where they are. So in the old paradigm, Jerusalem was the end of the mission, Right? We're here, God's here, come to us. But now it's the beginning of the mission. He says, you're going to start in Jerusalem, but then you're going to go. Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. So there's no geographical boundaries anymore. The land doesn't matter anymore. You ever wonder why our religion doesn't have a pilgrimage component to it like Islam does? You know, in Islam, that's one of the five tenets is you've got to make a trip to Mecca because that's the holy land. Now it's fine to go to Jerusalem. Christians do it all the time, but there's no requirement to be a good Christian. You don't have to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Why? Because of Acts 1-8. Because the paradigm's been shifted. No longer is Jerusalem the center of the religious universe where God's presence dwells specifically. Now, Now, it was merely a jumping off point to the ends of the earth where the gospel goes to the lost where they are. It's a huge change. Now, as Christians, we're in motion. We're not stationary, hoping that people come to us. We're in motion, identifying folks where they are and going to them with the good news. So if people are lost in your office, you don't have to just try to get the people you work with to come with you to see what we do on a Sunday morning. You take the gospel to your office right? If you, uh, if if, if the lost people are on the soccer field or the baseball field uh, and and, and you you don't say, hey, why don't you just uh, give up all that stuff that you're doing and come with me to where I am to see what we do on a Sunday morning, you go to where they are. You take the gospel to them. If the lost people are in prison, say, that's a pretty easy one, right? You can't get them to come to you, right? You can't say, hey, can we get a pass for Sunday so they can come to church with me? You go, you take the gospel to them. Wherever the people are, wherever the lost people are, the missionary mandate is to go to them. Uh, The next one, Uh, instead of centering religious life around one building, now in the New Testament, buildings don't matter. They don't matter. Buildings were huge. One building was huge in the Old Testament, the temple, because it was where God dwelt. But what does Jesus say in Acts 1-8? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Where does God dwell now? In you. So the temple of God is everywhere now. Every space is sacred. No space is uniquely sacred. No building is special. When you read through Acts, you see people meeting by rivers. You see them meeting in town halls. You see them meeting in jails. You see them meeting, yeah, sometimes outside the temple. You see them meeting all over the place, in homes. Because it doesn't matter where you meet. What matters is the Holy Spirit is with you. And so the buildings don't matter. You also see no adaptation to the surrounding cultures in the Old Testament. They couldn't adapt, but in the New Testament, you adapt all the time. You adapt to reach the surrounding cultures. In the Old Testament, you, you had food laws. You had very strict uh, regulations about um, who you could hang out with. Uh, you had the sacrificial system. All these things have been fulfilled by Jesus. And so now when you read throughout Acts, you see him breaking down barrier after barrier, Peter eating with Gentiles, uh, the church deciding, hey, circumcision's optional. Do you understand how, important, how big a deal that is? Circumcision was like the most important thing in the Old Testament. It marked them out as the people of God, and now in the New Testament they're going, eh, it's optional." How could that be? Because Jesus has fulfilled all those requirements for a distinct people. He's transformed things. Now it's the Holy Spirit that matters. If you have the Spirit, then you are in the people of God. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. And so this, this freedom enables people to go, to adapt. You know, Paul can say things like, I become all things to all people so that I might save some. He's changing, he's adapting. Now, sadly, here's, here's the rub. Sadly, many churches, including ours and our heritage, is much more in the Old Testament side of things than the New Testament. A lot of churches are stuck in this attractional Old Testament mindset where we say, hey, we're going to stay in one place or expect people to come to us. Okay? I mean not. Like the church sign outside. I put it up there. What's it say? Come worship with us. We're here. We're here. You're welcome. Okay? But what's the New Testament message? No, don't, don't, don't just sit in one place expecting people to come to you. Go to where they are. Go. You've got the Spirit. Take it to them. So many times we send a religious life around a building, we even betray it in the way that we use language. We call What do we call this building? What do you call this building? The church. Is this building the church? No. The church is the people. Okay? Well, I'm not going to become language police or anything like that, but, but, but it just reveals how we think of it. We think of this building as the church. This is a sacred space. No, it's not. You're a sacred space. The Holy Spirit is in you. And so we don't have to we don't have to worry about buildings. We could live without a building. You don't need to have a building to be a church. You need the Spirit to be a church. And adaptation. I mean, so we, we, as Christians, we come up with all these traditions, these rules, these, um, you know, there's the way, we don't even think about it, all of the things that we assume must be done to be a church, to have a church, and it makes it hard, it sets up hurdles for people on the outside to ever cross over and to experience God. But our job is not to say to other people, hey, I know we have all these weird things that we do. They're not necessarily biblical, but they're just kind of who we are. You should change and fit in with us so that you can experience God too. Now, the missionary mandate is we need to question everything and say, all, all this stuff that we're doing, anything that's not grounded in scripture that's keeping us from sharing the gospel and advancing it to those who are lost, we need to let that go. That's the New Testament mindset. So we adapt, we change. That's what it's like to be missional. All right, so if we wrap up, what are the lessons that we learn from this? So if we go back to this original picture of the computers, the changes. One lesson from this illustration, I think, is that uh, it's impossible to run new apps on old hardware. So if you were to go on eBay and find one of those old computers, I really doubt... You'd have to do a lot of work to, to try to get that thing to like be able to be in your car with you and running Google Maps to navigate as you're getting somewhere. There's probably some nerd that's totally done that, but you'd have to do a lot. You'd have to upgrade the hardware quite a bit. Okay. So you really can't do it. You can't run the new apps on the old hardware. You can't say, I've got this old computer. I want to run the latest stuff. We all know that doesn't work. And so when we look at, the, at the, this calling that Jesus has for us to be missionaries, to be missional, to live our lives in this, you know, this freedom, this at, adaptation to other cultures, to, to, to go and tell, like you can't do that unless you have the Holy Spirit. That was the big change. In fact, if you look at, in verse 4 in Acts chapter 1, it, Jesus tells us this. He says, "...while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Spirit." So Jesus is saying, don't go anywhere until you get the Holy Spirit. You can't do this without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. You have to upgrade your hardware first before you get a new operating system, before you get the new uh, applications. So don't don't, don't think, oh, we just got to go do all this other stuff. No, it's never going to work unless you have the Spirit. And that's a big deal, and I think we're going to have to spend a lot of time next time just talking about the Spirit's. But the second lesson is the one I want to key on as we wrap up today. Um, It's that it's foolish to use new hardware to only run old apps. Um, That's more likely, right? It's unlikely that someone's going to take an old uh, Intel processor computer and try to run new hardware on it. Um, It's sadly likely to have an amazing smartphone and only use it to play solitaire. Um, like, what are those things? Like, really, if the phone company doesn't pay for it, they're like $1,000, right? These phones. These are expensive things. And they're expensive because they can do so many amazing things. And it would be stupid to buy this phone for $1,000 and then literally only ever use it for solitaire. Like, just buy a dollar pack of cards, right? <laughs> do the same thing. It's foolish. You've got all this power. Use it, harness it. Like, it's an amazing thing. In the same way, God has given us an amazing gift. He's upgraded us with the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit of God in us. And it is foolish to camp out on that attractional Old Testament side of things, doing only the things that people could do without the Spirit. Why would we do that? Why would we live in a paradigm where all we have to do is follow a set of rules and traditions and hang out in a building and invite people to come and see us? You can do that without the Spirit. Actually, you can't. But that was the model in the Old Testament. That's the old way of doing things. But now Jesus has upgraded us. He said, you've got the Holy Spirit. You've got God himself living in you. You have the message that transforms the universe and saves people's eternal souls. Get out of here. Go do something with it. Figure it out. Try new things. Break old paradigms. Engage with the lost and see what God does. That's, That's the book of Acts. We wonder when we read this book. Why don't the things that we see in the book of Acts happen today? It's because we're not doing the things that the disciples did. Because we're, we're still stuck on Acts chapter 1, verse 4, waiting in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit has come and he sent us to go. And when we go, we will see the sorts of things that happened for the apostles happen for us. Because the same Holy Spirit that was in them is in you and is in me. So what are we gonna do next? I I really don't know other than we need to pray. Okay, and that's why after the service, if any of you can stick around, we can talk about this. I want to figure out when can we pray as a body? When and if it's a couple different times, I know schedules are crazy, but that's great too. If we get a couple prayer meetings going. But when you read through Acts, one of the things you'll see is that people pray and they pray and they pray, and when they pray, God moves. So I don't know yet what exactly do we have to do as a church? Where is God calling us? What changes do we make? But I know that we need to pray. We need to ask. And when we do, God will move. And He will lead us. And the Holy Spirit will do amazing things. So that's my application today. is just, um, if you can, hang around a little bit after service. Talk to me. Let's figure out when we can pray. Let's start asking God for these things. Let's get on mission. I don't want to stick around. I don't want to run old apps on new hardware. I want to do what Jesus has upgraded us to do, that is take the Word of God to everyone. Let's pray. Father, this is my heart's desire and I don't I know I, I feel weird even standing up here trying to lead us in this because I'm just so much at the beginning of this journey myself. But it's not me leading, it's your Spirit, so we just want to follow you. And, and Lord, we want to to, to do the things that you call us to do. I was encouraged today, just in our um, small group time and in, in Sunday school, sharing about some of the opportunities you've given us to to be a blessing outside of the four walls of this building. And I pray for more of those opportunities for us to have our eyes open, for us to be more courageous, even to have the permission to say, "I can just go do this sort of stuff. I can just, I can, I can go out there. I've got the spirit." Yes. So, Father, encourage us with this. Help us to embrace this new paradigm. Um, And would you bear fruit in us as we seek to do this by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.